Welcome to the Black Then, Black Now podcast. We're giving you an insight into the conversations between generations, the ones you may have at a dinner table or on your living room sofa. From discussing changing dating culture to the persistence of racism in football, we're concerned about looking at change and continuity. What was it like then? How is it now? So today we're going to talk about all things work and dream jobs, career aspirations, what it's like being in the workplace and everything in between. So today I'm joined by the lovely Movil. if you would like to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Movil Dash. I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant and in-house practitioner. I'll explain what that means as we go through, but there's, there's a lot involved, but that's what I do. Fabulous. So... When you were younger, what did you want to do when you were older? Oh, gosh, uh, lots of things. <laughs> so I started out wanting to be a fashion designer and I studied fashion design. And then in my own infinite wisdom, decided that I wasn't good enough. So gave it up, even though my teachers didn't agree. I just decided that I wasn't you know, perfect because I was a bit of a perfectionist growing up. So I decided that I wasn't good enough. So I quit. And then I said I wanted to be a psychologist. So I studied psychology. But no one told me that that was a very maths based subject and maths is not my strong point and I hated it. So I quit that after a year, which is terrible. This is a terrible example. I'm sad, like such a quitter. Uh, (laughs) And then I decided I wanted to do law, but only after I'd taken a job. So I got a job working full time for a fashion company. I worked for Topshop, actually, for the Burton Group. I worked in their head office. Um, I worked there for a long time and then, then the Burton Group kind of made redundancies. And so I got laid off. And so I went to college and studied law. Um, I did sociology as a basis for my law. And then I went and did a law degree. And then I took some time out, had my daughter, and then went back to studying law and did my bar vocational course. So I became a qualified barrister. But the hours didn't really fit with what I wanted to do in terms of being able to raise my daughter. So I took a job somewhere else. So I've kind of taken, I've had various careers throughout my life. My initial desire was to be a fashion designer. So I'm still very much into fashion, but just not in a capacity where it comes to my occupation. I actually wanted to be a fashion designer too when I was younger. And your daughter is studying fashion at she uni. Is. Yeah. She is. She is. She loves fashion. That's where all my money goes. She, lo- <laughs> she loves fashion and music. Those are her two passions. And so she's doing fashion business and communication. So that incorporates things like fashion styling, photography, that kind of stuff, as, as well as the business side of things. And as she's done her first year at uni, do you teach her anything about your experience learning about fashion and any lessons you've taught her or anything she's taught you? So we talk a bit about my experience. And the main thing I kind of teach her as far as that's concerned is just to not be hard on yourself and not to be a perfectionist, especially to the detriment of what you want to do. Because ultimately, I didn't do what I wanted because I decided something, which was ridiculous, really, because I wasn't the expert. My teachers were. And they really wanted me to continue. But I just decided that I wasn't good enough. And so I wasn't going to do it. So the main thing I teach her is basically not to be too hard on yourself and to listen to your teachers. If your teachers say you're good at something, they're the experts. So try to listen to that and draw confidence from that is the main thing I teach her. And in terms of what she's taught me, um, her course has taught me quite a lot. It's really interesting just from the business perspective. So when she's doing stuff, I tend to kind of look at it or get involved sometimes just so I can understand what she's doing. Because I've always been that kind of parent. I like to understand what it is that she's doing. And so, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of things that her course has taught me around business and marketing, which I can use in my own business. So that's quite handy and, and quite helpful. Mm. And when you were talking about kind of being a perfectionist, 
underestimating yourself. Would you say you were kind of battling with imposter syndrome at that time? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's ridiculous. I was measuring myself against established designers. So I was like, well, I'm not going to be the next Donna Karen or John Paul Gaultier. I'm not good enough. So I'm just not going to do it, which is absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) These people have had years and years and years of experience. So it's stupid of me to compare myself to them anyway, because I'm not where they are. But that's Mm. what I was doing. And so once I'm setting the bar that high and measuring myself against them, of course, imposter syndrome is going to kick in because someone who's just starting out and just learning can't possibly be as good as an established designer. He's gone through all the things that I'm now trying to go through. So yeah, imposter syndrome is something that I definitely dealt with then and continue to deal with. I think most people have it throughout their careers. Because mm. imposter syndrome is something that I deal with as well. And I think it's something that with like is not often like gendered. Women experience it more, racialized black women experience it even more. And so you said that you still deal with it now. What are your methods of coping with that? So as well as being a barrister and a DNI like consultant, I'm also a coach. I'm also a life coach. And so I kind of do what I do with my clients, which is have you focus on your achievements? Because imposter syndrome is basically you thinking that you're not good enough and that you can't achieve things and you, there's lots of comparisons going. So what I do and what I advise my clients to do is to focus on yourself, compete with yourself look at your achievements to remind you of the fact that you're not an imposter. So when I get kind of an attack of conscience and feel like I'm not good enough or, you know, I feel like a bit of an imposter, I just go back and have a look at my CV and look at all the things that I've done and that I've achieved. And that reminds me that actually you can't be an imposter. You're actually here because this is where you're supposed to be and you've earned the right to be here just through your achievements. I'm in my 50s, so I've got a 20 plus year career. So it's really helpful for me to look at where I've come from and remind myself that, no, you're not an imposter. You actually belong here. That's great. Where I'm working with people, even people as young as yourself, it's about looking at what you've done so far and looking at where you are and how, what it took for you to get there. And if you think about those things, you can be reminded of the fact that you earned your position. You're no one picked up and plonked you somewhere and said, oh, here you go, you Mm. know, gave you favoritism. You actually earned the right to be where you are. And so those are the things that you need to focus on and remember when you feel like you're being an imposter because you're not. Mm. Mm. And so with me, I feel like I have a very weird relationship with imposter syndrome because I get, I look at my accomplishments. I'm like, yeah, recently I've been really into LinkedIn and I'm kind of like, I'm quite proud of how my profile is right now. But sometimes I feel like because of the help that I've received, like mentors, for example, I'm like, well, I didn't do it all by myself. Therefore, it's not totally my accomplishment. And then the imposter syndrome comes in. So what do you have to say about like, yeah, what's your response to that? And do your clients have a similar relationship or am I just weird? (laughs) No, you're not weird. Imposter syndrome manifests different ways for different people. I've heard what you're talking about before. I haven't experienced that. For me, it's all about me and I'm not good enough. But what you need to know is that no one gets anywhere by themselves. Mm. No one does. The most successful people have had mentors and coaches and sponsors. In fact, As a coach, I advise everybody to get a mentor, a sponsor, or a coach. You should have those. But the mentors, coaches, and sponsors don't do your work for you. They don't do anything for you. They offer you advice. They may offer introductions to people. And if you have a coach, that coach brings out of you what's already there. The coach doesn't tell you anything. Everything that you do with a coach comes from you. So I would just remind you that just because you have help doesn't mean that your achievements are not your own. Because you're the person who, when you're sitting and writing an assignment, your sponsor's not doing that for you. Your coach isn't doing it for you. Your mentor isn't doing it for you. You may have had advice from them to help you to write an essay or to complete an assignment, but that's what your teachers do as well. And so you wouldn't go, oh, my teachers taught me, so therefore my GCSE results are not theirs, are not mine, they're theirs. 
So that's the way you need to look at it in terms of your coaches and your mentors and people of that nature. Those people are helping you in the same way that your teachers did. That doesn't mean that your achievements are not your own. It just means you had help. And just be reminded that, like I said, everybody has help. People like, you know, Oprah Winfrey, one of the most successful black women ever, will tell you that she's had help from coaches and mentors and sponsors. Everyone does. That's just part of how the world works, because there are people who have gone before you who have wisdom. And so you'd be silly not to try and benefit from that wisdom to help you overcome pitfalls and not make some of the same mistakes they made. That that shouldn't negate your experience, though. I think it's totally true. And I think it's this nature of like society we live in where it's like very individualized, do things on your own your successes are your own when that's not the nature of reality and I think I was really getting into like the nepotism within Hollywood and I find it so mind-blowing because it's true like they you know it's often like their family are in the industry and and that obviously makes it easier to get in but you don't realize that like you don't know their family history so you don't see it as help but it really is obviously help so you said that you work in diversity and inclusion tell us more about that Well, my job essentially is to work with companies and senior executives to help them to become more inclusive. So that can be anything from creating programs that help their underrepresented staff to progress through the organisation. It could be things like looking at their policies and processes and making sure that they are inclusive of everybody they represent. Because a lot of the, you will have heard terms like systemic racism that are applied to society, but more so to work. And there is this systemic racism, there's also systemic gender bias, homophobia, all of those things are wrapped up into what I do in terms of inclusion work. So my job is just basically to work with companies to help them to become more inclusive. And I've done that in-house. I kind of fell into that work by accident, really. I was asked to run a pro project at work for underrepresented staff at work to help them create a development program for them. And I did that and it was really successful. The program won awards. And so as a result of that, I kind of fell into doing this work more and more till it became my career. So I've been doing this work now for on and off, informally and formally for about 20 years. And so I do that work with different companies on an in-house basis or on a consultancy basis. So I have my own consultancy. And so I'll go into companies and help them to write strategy. Sometimes I'll do coaching with senior executives just to help them to become more inclusive as leaders to understand what it means to be an inclusive leader. Mm -hmm. Um, Because obviously they're responsible for how their companies are run and so they have to set the example so I'll I'll do a lot of work with them so yeah that's my work in a nutshell I love it been doing it for a while and it's really interesting and very rewarding and it's important to me that I help to make workplaces more inclusive so that you and my daughter and people of your generation don't have to go through the same things that I went through that your mum might have went through and your dad might have gone through in work because we want to make sure that you know we've learned the lessons of the past and we'll make you know, work a better place for everybody so anyone can work wherever they want to without having to worry about there being gender bias or race bias against them. Mm. And I think because, yeah, my mum, oftentimes she like, I, I think underestimates herself. Um, she's like, no, I can't do that. No, I've been up to do a report. I can't do it. And I'm like, it's the imposter syndrome within you. And, and, and I think she's also been overlooked by her workplace as well um and not given those promotions that she definitely deserves so yeah you spoke about your own experiences of of um you want it to be better for me and your daughter um can you delve a bit more into that well I mean going through work like your mum you know I've been overlooked for promotions I've trained people to do work and then those people have been promoted over me even though I was the expert and they kind of didn't have the same knowledge or experience that I had um I've had people be overtly racist in, in, in terms of things like I've had bosses 
walk up to me and touch my hair. And then when I've had a, comp- I've had a problem with that, I've been made to feel like I'm the aggressor. Um, I've had white male bosses taking my work and crossing my name off and putting their names on. And when I've confronted them telling me, well, so what? That's just how, it's, how it works. Um, so I've had all of those experiences and that's kind of what fueled me to kind of go into this work. Because obviously as a, someone who trained to be a lawyer, I'm all about equity and fairness, right? And wanting people to receive just treatment and justice. So this is just a kind of continuation of that for me, but born out of my personal experience as a woman, as a black woman, as a person from a low socioeconomic background, all of those things have counseled against me in work. And it's been frustrating and career limiting in many ways. So, you know, I don't want you or my daughter to have to go through any of that. I want you to be able to, it's hard, the world is hard enough as it is. And you already, you're, you're talking to me about having imposter syndrome at sort of what, 18, 19. And so you're already feeling the effects of the world and how it makes you feel because of social media. You've got so much to compare yourself to. So you've already got enough going on with that happening without you then saying, oh, well, I want to do that job. But, you know, black women aren't allowed to do that job. No, I want you to be able to do whatever it is you want to do. And the only limit be yourself, not somebody else, because we do limit ourselves enough as people without workplaces and the world putting more limits on us. So I don't want that for you guys. And would you say since the summer of 2020, there's been more interest in from companies to get DNI professionals in to address the problems in their companies? Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of that's been genuine and some of that has just been you know, what it looks like. There have been many companies who have said, you know, went out publicly and issued statements from their CEO saying, you know, we want to, we want to be anti-racist. We don't just want to be, you know people who are talking about you know racism we want to be anti-racist actively we want to do this we want to do that they put out statements and then a year on you go and look at the company makeup they've not gotten any better some of them have gotten worse some of them have done nothing at all I had lots of people reaching out to me offering me jobs but you can tell who's genuine about doing this work and who isn't if someone is saying you know I've never had any DNI work done in my company before and now I'm offering you a job for six months how serious are you because six months is not going to be long enough to embed any of the change that you need to make if you've not looked at DNI before at all in your organisation. It's been existing for years. So you can tell the real from the fake. But there's definitely been a lot more interest in inclusion. And not just because of the murder of George Floyd. I think the pandemic has caused a lot of that because part of inclusion work is looking at mental health. And so we have been looking at you know, mental health and the impacts of mental health because of the pandemic. So that's prompted people to do more work in that space and the well-being space. There's been people looking at, you know, our socioeconomic status because the pandemic, again, has highlighted the inequities with people who are from low socioeconomic backgrounds as compared to people who are wealthy. So, you know, work has been looking at all of those things. It's not just about race bias. It's been looking at all of those things. And so, yeah, it's made my job easier because my job's unpopular and a lot of organisations were not interested in doing this work prior to last year and the year before. It's crazy how things can like shift so quickly and um, which is, is obviously is moving in the right direction. I just wish it just happened years and years ago. And working within like these like spaces where they previously like there's been not much change and you know often release these empty statements. How emotionally taxing is it to kind of have to address the problems in this company like and do that again and again in different places? It can be very emotionally taxing. But I advise anyone doing this work to, particularly people of colour doing this work, to make sure that you actively look after your well-being because you have to. For instance, when George Floyd was murdered, that was the first time the world had seen a video of that nature. But for me, it wasn't. 
And for most black people, it wasn't in this country or in America, it wasn't because we have family and friends who are in America. So we see, you know, videos again and again and again of black people being abused by the police. Just before the murder of George Floyd, there was the murder of Ahmad Arbery. And that case still hasn't been you know, resolved where two white men shot somebody who's out for a jog. They weren't even police officers. They just did it because they thought they could. And so that's stuff that we see again and again and again at work. The difference being now for me is that because that was highlighted to the world, and it was a good thing that it was because it's the catalyst for some of this change. But what that means is I'm talking about that at work over and over and over again. But then I'm also talking about it at home because this affects me personally. So I'm talking about this at home and at work. So when you're talking about something that's quite negative and depressing and toxic day in, day out, that's bound to have an impact on your mental health. So what this last year has taught me is that I have to proactively manage my mental health. And so what that looks like is I meditate. That's my daily practice. I do that on a daily basis. I exercise daily, but sometimes if work is too much, I will literally just call in and say, I'm not coming in today. So after we had the incident with the Euros and the, you know, the black footballers being called on those racist names and racism being, you know, very open in the days following that match, I, you know, the day after I called in work and said, I'm not coming in because I wasn't feeling very objective. I was feeling very angry. I was feeling very emotional and that's not a good space to do my job. So I just took a day out. So for me, it's very taxing. And for most people who do this work, they'll tell you it's very taxing. People of colour and people who are not, but more so for people who are of colour, because when it comes to racism, they're living this stuff. So yeah, I just make sure that I manage my well-being, my mental health proactively. That's good advice. I think, yeah, I need to get into meditation. People rave about it and I'm just like, I'll try it and then I just don't know. I think of too many things. um, But that's the misconception about meditation. People feel like you have to quiet your entire mind and sit for an hour in total silence, not thinking about anything. That's not how the human mind works. If that's your goal, you're never going to really achieve that. So I think people need to understand that meditation is not about shutting all your thoughts out. It's about just being more inward, just being silent. And as thoughts come up, if they're distracting from your meditation, you acknowledge them and then you go back into silence. But that can happen 50 times during your meditation practice. But that's what meditation is. So don't think that when you go into it, you have to be this Zen person who just sits there and goes, um, and nothing's in your head. That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. You will get interrupting thoughts. You just acknowledge them. Go, okay, I thought that. That's not what I'm here for at this moment. So you put that to the side and then you go back to your meditation. And there's lots of apps at the moment that can help you with that. So I use one called Balance, which is really good. So they'll have guided meditations. Someone will talk along and give you instructions or you can have unguided ones, which are just silent and then you can do your own thing. Hmm. I'll definitely check that out. I've only used Headspace. Maybe Balance is the one for me. Try. There's lots of different ones. So try them until you find one that works for you. And if none of them work, just sit in silence. True. So we've spoken about lots of things and I want to ask you, I think I kind of know the answer, but I want to ask you, do you feel fulfilled by your work? Absolutely. I feel fulfilled and frustrated (laughs) at the same time. I'm frustrated because things don't move as quickly as I'd like them to, but I'm fulfilled because people have the appetite to make change. And bit by bit is how things progress. Could they move faster? Yes but having some progress is better than none at all. And I'm fulfilled because I know that what I'm doing is making a difference. And so that my end goal, as I said, is for, you know, yourself and your generation to have it easier than I did. And that's already beginning to happen. And partly because you guys make it easier. You guys are demanding change. You're not as forgiving as my generation where you're not willing to go into work and be overlooked and still stay there for years and years and years. And that's what 
my generation have done. And that's part of our upbringing. Our parents came to this country as immigrants and they had to do as they were told to survive. They were taught not to rock the boat because if they did, they could lose their jobs. And so they taught that to us. And so we tended to be a bit more, not forgiving, but we tended to kind of take a lot more because we know that that's what we had to do to survive. Whereas we've kind of raised you guys to be a bit more demanding. And so what I'm seeing is young people coming to work and they're asking about you know, inclusion. They're asking about sustainability. They're asking about well-being. And if companies aren't doing what they want, they just leave mm. and they go elsewhere or they start their own companies. And so that kind of demand is causing employers to say, no, we have to take notice. We have to do something about it. So you guys are helping to make things better for yourselves. But what I'm doing is also helpful. So I definitely feel fulfilled because I, I see the change coming. And what would you say to someone who doesn't fulfill in their current workplace? Like, say they're your age as well. Like, they're not young person. Oh, no, you are young. You are very young. <laughs> <You're very laughs> it's, it's okay, Antonia. <laughs> it's fine. I know exactly what you meant. <laughs> it's fine. I am seasoned. <laughs> Beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. Do you know what? I coach people all the time who aren't fulfilled. Ultimately, what I say to people is we we all have choices. The only thing we do have in life is choices, right? So whether we choose to do something or not do something, that's our choice, right? So we have choices and life is very short. You know, I lost my dad four years ago and I lost my sister two years before that. So for me, I don't think I have time to waste. I lost my sister before her 44th birthday. So she hadn't even really lived as far as I'm concerned. And so for me, it's about making sure that I live a life that fulfills me because otherwise I'll go to the grave full of regret and unhappiness. I don't want to do that. So for me, being fulfilled is very important. And I've decided that where I'm no longer fulfilled or appreciated, I will leave, which is part of the reason why I started my consultancy, because I can then make the rules for myself and I can work where I want and not work where I don't want. So I advise people all the time, if you're not fulfilled, to look at why it is you're not fulfilled and what you can do to change it within that organization. And if you realize there's nothing you can do to change it, then look for something else. And people will say things like, well, I'm too old to move on. I've been, or I've invested 25 years in this company. Well, that's great. But if after 25 years, they haven't shown you any respect, it's not likely they're going to. And if you demand it and they still don't show you respect, then you have to respect yourself enough to be able to move on and go and find someone that does respect you. And you're never too old to do whatever it is you want. I'm 52 and I started my consultancy, what, two or three years ago. I've been doing this work for many, for 20 years, as I said, but I started my consultancy two or three years ago. So for me, many people looked at me and said, oh, that's too old, but it's not. You're never too old to do what it is you want because you have to be happy in your life. And so you need to start doing what it takes to live your life. And you do that by not comparing yourself to other people because we do that way too often, young and old, we all do it. We do it way too often. And that's what keeps us stuck a lot of the time. So I would advise anybody, if you're not fulfilled, see what you can do to change it. And if you can't change it, move on. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's true. I don't know where we found this notion that you kind of pass this certain age and then you just can't change anything in your life. Everything's done for, like, because it's completely wrong. And, you know, we were talking about fashion at the beginning. Vera Wang, apparently she started her company when she was, like, 40 or something, 40-ish. I didn't know that. So, yeah, that's just testament to you're never, doesn't, yeah, there's no right age to do anything. And on that note, I think we've had a great conversation. And do you have any last words to leave our viewers with and yeah and please like plug your consultancy firm so I think a lot of people would really benefit from your guidance yeah thank you in terms of last words it literally is just as we just ended just now it's really just live your life figure out what makes you happy 
And that's you personally, not your mom or your dad or your children or what society says should make you happy. Figure out what makes you happy. And part of what helps me to do that is doing that inner work. So it's doing meditation, being silent with myself and thinking about what do, what do you really, really want? And that's what's helped me to decide, do you know what? I know what I want and it's not to be disrespected at work for a paycheck. So I'm not going to do that anymore. So really just spend some time, journal it, meditate, whatever it is that helps you to focus on what you want. Just remember that if you're not fulfilling yourself and you're not happy in yourself, all these other people you're trying to please are never going to be happy anyway, because you're never going to be doing the best you can do if you're not happy. So you're always going to have people looking at you and judging you. The people you're trying to stay at a job for for 25 years are going to look at you and go, why are you staying there? Why are you not being promoted? Why this? Why that? So stop trying to please other people. Think about what you want and then go for that. Because when you're happy, everybody else will be happy. I know as a mother, I do what I do in part for my daughter, but I do it because I love what I do. And I also know that if I'm not happy doing what I do, I can't make her happy. Because if I'm miserable, that bleeds out into every area of my life in one way or another, which includes my daughter. So there's no point in me trying to do things that are going to make her happy if they don't make me happy. So just find out what pleases you and do that. And in terms of my company, it's called Modus Personal Development, that's M-O-D-A-S. You can just look at my website, it's moduspd.com. You can just search Modus Personal Development and come up. I'm on social media, so on Twitter, it's Modus40. And on, that's the same thing on Instagram. So you can find me just by either searching my name, Movel Dash, or searching those things on Twitter and Instagram. And you'll find on my link tree in Instagram, there's lots of information about the things that I do also on my website, so... But yeah, and I also do coaching, as I said, I do strengths-based coaching and I do inclusion coaching. So, you know, look up again, look on my website. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, then you can find me there. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mabel. And I'll no, thank you. Thank you for doing this. It's really good to see you and really good to see what you're doing. So thank you. Thanks for listening. The Black Then Black Now podcast would not be possible without the support of Do It Now Now, who have created the Voltage Revolution to give young Black London creatives opportunities and tools to give them a foot in the door. Make sure you keep updated on Black Then Black Now by following our socials at WeVoltage on Twitter and Instagram, where we'll be posting information about the team that has put this all together and exclusive behind the scenes footage.